0: This morning, I do invite uh, Pastor Allison, if you'll help me welcome her as she gives us a word this morning. Well, thanks, Mike, for that introduction. Um, hello, everyone, my name is Allison. I am the executive pastor here at The River, and it's really good to be here with you this morning. Um, before I start, I wanna share a quick update from our lead pastor, Charles. Um, As many of you know, Charles uh, recently had a setback with his back injury. Um, This past week, he received some treatment that he is hopeful will help with his recovery. Um, So if you can please keep him in your prayers um, as he's healing and recovering, um, I know that would mean a lot to him. All right, so let's dive into today's sermon. We are currently in a sermon series called Life of Worth. Lately, I have been reading this book called Life Worth Living, A Guide to What Matters Most. It was written by three Yale faculty members and is based on a course that they teach that helps students explore the meaning of life. The authors call this search for meaning the question with a capital Q. They say this, there are countless ways to try to express it. What matters most? What is a good life? What is the shape of flourishing life? What kind of life is worthy of our humanity? What is true life? What is right and true and good? None of these phrasings captures it completely. The question they try to articulate always exceeds them it always escapes full definition. But that doesn't make it any less real or any less important. Hard as it is to pin down, it is the question of our lives. The question of our lives. No pressure, right? So something I like about this book is that it is not claimed to have the answer with a capital A. Um, Instead, it offers insight into how different people throughout history have approached the question. And it it provides some frameworks that we can consider using in our own explorations. Just like the authors of this book, I do not claim to have the capital A answer for you. Um, If that's what you came here looking for today, I'm very sorry to disappoint you. Um, But that being said, I do think that Jesus shared a number of teachings that can help us in our search for meaning. And I am happy to share a bit about how these teachings are helping me to think about the question. One teaching that I've found helpful comes from the book of Matthew. During his famous sermon on the mount, Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Before we get into the content of this teaching, I wanna talk a bit about Jesus's approach because I think that it's actually a really helpful model for us. In this passage, we see Jesus employ one of his frequently used teaching strategies. He often started teachings by saying, "'You have heard that it was said, but I say to you.'" And by that, Jesus meant something like, "'You've been thinking about or doing things this way, "'but how about you consider this other approach instead?' Jesus did something similar here when comparing the pursuit of treasures on earth to the pursuit of treasures in heaven. When Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, he often finished the sentences with something unexpected. Jesus frequently challenged those in authority, elevated those of low status, and turned expectations on their heads. Every time he did this, Jesus gave his listeners permission to question the dominant norms and values of their world. And Jesus gives us the same permission today. Every culture and subculture to which we belong has its own set of norms and values too often we internalize and continue to adhere to them without ever making a conscious decision to do so. However, when we take a step back and critically examine the norms and values we've inherited, like Jesus did, we gain the freedom to be intentional about what we want to keep and what we want to let go of. By paying attention to what leads to flourishing and what leads to harm, both for ourselves and for others, we are then able to take steps to shape our lives accordingly. We do not have to do things the same way they have always been done, or to approach life in the exact same way as our families, friends, peers, or colleagues. Jesus frees us to pursue a life worthy of our humanity. I love this phrasing which I pulled from the Life Worth Living book um, that I mentioned earlier. I love a life worthy of our humanity because it starts with the assumption that we ourselves as individuals are worthy. We are often conditioned to approach life as a pursuit of worth. And by that, I mean that we feel pressured to accomplish or to acquire in order to prove our worthiness to ourselves and others. But what if we started with the opposite premise, as this phrasing suggests? What if we started with the knowledge that we are worthy, that we matter, that we are loved, and that we are enough just as we are? If we knew these things to be true with every fiber of our being, how would we then go about shaping a life that honors that worthiness? How might that change things for us? I think the results would be pretty profound. Today's passage suggests that one way to pursue a life worthy of our humanity is to set our sights on treasures of heaven, instead of treasures on earth. But what exactly does that mean? Many have interpreted treasures on earth to be the kinds of riches we can amass during our earthly lives and treasures in heaven to be some kind of reward that we may receive in the afterlife. If Jesus was, in fact, talking about the afterlife here, which is a subject of debate among scholars, I wonder if he was talking about it exclusively. Perhaps treasures on earth and treasures in heaven are two types of treasure that we can experience and orient our lives around right here and right now and not just in some future afterlife. You may be wondering where I got this idea. Um, You might be thinking something like, how can a passage that has the word heaven in it actually be about something that we are experiencing here on earth? And that's a great question. Um, To answer it, I think it helps to look at the larger context of the book of Matthew. Throughout this gospel, Jesus frequently talked about something called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Jesus described this kingdom in contrast to what some call the earthly kingdom or the kingdom of the world. What's really interesting is that sometimes Jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven as if it would come in the future. But other times, Jesus spoke about it as if it had already arrived here on earth. Nadia Boltz-Weber, a Lutheran minister and a public theologian, says this about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a tricky concept, and I was always taught it referred to our heavenly reward for being good, which, now that I actually read the Bible for myself, makes very little sense. Others say that the kingdom of God is another way of talking about the church, And still others say that it's the dream God has for the wholeness of the world. A dream being made true, little by little, among us, right here, right now. My answer? All of the above. Many theologians explore this tension of a kingdom that has already come and is still coming through the phrase, already, but not yet. They say... The kingdom has already arrived, but has not yet come in all its fullness. This is the tension that we live in, a world where we simultaneously rejoice over the ways that God's spirit has broken through while we also yearn for more. We see this longing expressed in the Lord's Prayer. It begins, God in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We wait on God to usher in the kingdom, but we also work with God to bring it into being little by little among us right here, right now. And this means that we have the ability to experience aspects of the kingdom of heaven in our lives today. So I wonder, could treasures in heaven be one of the dimensions that is accessible to us now? Two of the key distinctions that Jesus drew between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven are their durability and longevity. Treasures on earth can decay and be stolen. Treasures in heaven, on the other hand, seem to be decay-proof and theft-proof. Treasures on earth likely include things like wealth and physical belongings, but I think they might represent an even broader category that encompasses all the precarious ends that we humans so often devote our lives to pursuing. To better understand what I'm talking about here, Let's take a look at three of the ultimate goals that many modern people shape their lives around. Health, wealth, and happiness. Now, don't get me wrong. Health, wealth, and happiness are great things to pursue. They can improve our lives in significant ways. Um, However, they can also be elusive hard to attain and hard to hold on to. In other words, using the language from the book of Matthew, they can decay or be stolen. For example, even when we have access to the best medical care and have the knowledge and means to care for ourselves well, which is often a matter of privilege and luck, good health can still be out of reach. Sometimes we are born with medical challenges. Other times we are injured or receive a diagnosis unexpectedly. All of us who have the privilege of aging will ultimately suffer its effects. Wealth too can be elusive. Hard work and financial discipline play a part, but so do luck and social location unexpected setbacks or tragedies can wipe away savings, material possessions can be destroyed in natural disasters, and so on. Happiness is an even trickier thing to pursue. It is a feeling, and like any other feeling, it may come and go based on the circumstances and conditions around us. To always feel happy would mean to shut off other healthy emotions in favor of toxic positivity. It would mean ignoring the realities of personal tragedy and of oppression or other brokenness in the world. So let me be clear again, I'm not anti-health, wealth, or happiness. And I'm not advocating for anyone to actively pursue sickness, poverty, or unhappiness, right? This would not be a good way to shape a life worthy of your humanity. But I do believe that we can experience a sense of relief and validation when we acknowledge that many of the good things we pursue are actually very elusive. There's not something wrong with us if we find these good things hard to grasp or hold on to. And there's not something wrong with us if perpetually chasing after them feels exhausting. Similarly, I believe that there's a sense of freedom available to us when we stop equating things like health, wealth, and happiness with personal value. In the kingdom of God, We do not become less valuable when we are sick, poor, or sad. Worth is always the starting point, not the goal to be pursued. And finally, I believe that there's wisdom in evaluating whether the ultimate goals elevated in any culture or subculture are the only or the most important good things worth pursuing. As I mentioned earlier in the sermon, Jesus gives us permission to question the dominant norms and values of our world. So that means it's okay for us to question or disagree with our society's elevation of health, wealth, and happiness above all other positive goods. The authors of the Life Worth Living book point out that at times, there may be things that are more important things that are actually worth sacrificing health, wealth, and happiness for. As one example of this, they point to individuals who engaged in hunger strikes, sacrificing their personal health as they sought to stand against oppression and to promote social change. Jesus's life is another example. During his public ministry, other values, like unconditional love, often took precedence over health, wealth, and happiness. I'm sure we can all think of many people, whether it be figures in history or people we know personally, who sacrificed health, wealth, or happiness in order to pursue other values that were more important to them. I wonder if these more important things might fall into the category of treasures in heaven. I wonder if the types of treasures that do not decay and cannot be stolen are things like unconditional love, empathy, compassion, integrity, authenticity, and self-worth. If so, perhaps we should be more intentional about pursuing these lasting treasures. Today's passage tells us that our hearts follow our treasures. We will naturally devote our time, energy, and resources toward obtaining and preserving the things that matter most to us. Sometimes it can be helpful to take an inventory of our lives, to take a look at where our time, energy, and resources are actually going. The goal is not to shame ourselves, but rather to give ourselves an opportunity to course correct if needed. To help ourselves take small steps towards more fully living out the values that are most important to us. There's a second teaching from the book of Matthew that I think can help us when considering the question with a capital Q. It is one that you have likely heard many, many times before. It goes like this. An expert in the law asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I come back to this teaching time and time again because it is simple and profound. It is both encouraging and really challenging. To love God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind sounds like a lot to me. But I think that all that God is really asking of us is to try, to try to grow in our understanding of and practice of unconditional love for both ourselves and for others, and to seek to elevate unconditional love above other positive goods in our lives. The greatest commandment teaches us that a flourishing life looks both inward and outward. We are to unconditionally love ourselves and to unconditionally love others. Therefore, considering both ourselves and others is critical when attempting to shape a life of worth. Sometimes we can err by considering ourselves too much and others not enough. Or we can do the opposite, consider others too much and ourselves not enough. So ask yourself, does my vision of the good life adequately consider myself? And does my vision of the good life adequately consider others? Considering the question with a capital Q can feel overwhelming at times. This makes sense. After all, it is the question of our lives. But I'd encourage you to set aside some time to think about what a life worthy of your humanity might look like. Does it look like the life that you're living right now? Or is there a gap between your vision and your reality? If there is a gap, what might a small step forward look like? for you. If you would find it helpful to discuss these questions together in a group setting, please join us after the service today um, for chat with the pastor up on the second floor. Um, Whether you are new to the river or have been around forever, I would love for you to come. Uh, We'll spend some time getting to know each other, uh, talking about today's sermon, and also opening up the conversation to any other faith questions that might be on your mind. Also, the basement will be available downstairs for anyone who wants to eat, chat, and play games, and lunch will be available in both places, so please stick around. As I invite the worship team up here, um, I would like to pray a version of the Lord's Prayer over us. Yeah, feel free to come up. This version comes from the New Zealand Anglican Prayer Book. eternal spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, source of all that is and that shall be, father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven. The hallowing of your name echo through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, strengthen us. From trials too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen.